Welcome to episode 13 of the Palestine Pod. Why couldn't our guest come? He adds two children were arbitrarily arrested by the occupation. Settler colonialism and apartheid literally got in the way and ruined his life yet again. Um, and ruined the lives of the thousands of other people who have been detained. The occupation is currently holding at least 13 Palestinian journalists. Because during the same period earlier this month when Israel murdered over 260 Palestinians in Gaza, when injured thousands more and made anywhere from 60 to 100 thousand Palestinians refugees once again. At the very same time, its occupation forces were busy in the West Bank. They killed 26 Palestinians, injured over 500 there, and that's of course separate from the assaults that were taking place at the same time in occupied East Jerusalem. One of the Palestinians who was killed in the West Bank during one of the protests was Islam Bornat, a 16-year-old boy and relative of Iyad's. The entire economy of the occupation is based off slavery. So anyways, we'll probably be assassinated at some point. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and Mikey Intifada if you are absolutely shook to your core by a free parking sign. <laughs> These Zionists are crazy, man. They're getting crazier every week. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, as always, subscribe and leave a review if you can. You can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com. And feel free to follow us on Instagram at the palestinepod. All right. So today it's just going to be Michael and I, but it was not supposed to be just Michael and I. Why couldn't our guest come? We had a guest who was supposed to come and supposed to appear here, but settler colonialism and apartheid literally got in the way and ruined his life yet again. And so he couldn't appear on our podcast. In our case, we had a guest lined up for you guys today, Iyad Burnat, a community leader from Occupied Bilain, which is a Palestinian village in the occupied West Bank, not far from Amullah. Iyad has spent years now organizing the popular resistance of the village to Israel's land theft. What all of our listeners have to understand about Bilain, if you don't already know about it, is that Israel has been for many years now uprooting their village's olive groves. They did so initially in order to build the apartheid wall, which, as we've mentioned many times on the podcast, was deemed illegal by the International Court of Justice in 2004, and Israel has yet to dismantle it today in 2021. Now, the portion of the apartheid wall that cuts through Bilain actually separates people like Yad and his family from their land, which was then intentionally placed on the other side of the wall. So basically, their land was stolen by apartheid apartheid Israel, and they were never compensated for it. And why was their land taken? In order to allow the illegal Jewish settlement of Morin elite to grow. The apartheid wall's route cuts off the majority of the Bilain farmland from villagers like Yad, and essentially 
puts it on the other side of the wall so that the neighboring settlement can continue to expand. You guys may remember Bilain if you watched the 2013 Oscar-nominated documentary film Five Broken Cameras. It follows the story of Imad Burnat, who is Iyad's brother, who was recording the construction of the apartheid wall on Bilain farmland and the protests that ensued in response to that and essentially all of the organization that the villagers were participating in weekly in order to resist this land theft. The documentary showed how the Israeli occupation forces were beating and arresting villagers and activists who came to support them, how settlers were destroying Palestinian olive trees and attacking Ahmed Burnat as he tried to film them. The documentary further showed how the occupation forces raided the village in the middle of the night and arrested the children of Bilain. Ahmed, Iyad, their friends, their brothers, their relatives were all arrested or shot, some were killed. And each camera that was used to document these events was shot or smashed, hence the name of the film, Five Broken Cameras. So this is the context that we're dealing with when we're talking about the village of Bilain. But we had actually invited Iyad on the show to discuss one of the latest developments in occupied Bilain in the context of the global intifada of unity that we have been reporting on for the last few weeks. So after having provided updates from Gaza via my own family and friends, and after we had interviewed Adnan a few weeks ago, who spoke to us about the situation in occupied East Jerusalem, we wanted to speak to Iyad so he could give us an impression about how the intifada was unfolding in the occupied West Bank. And this is for a good reason, because during the same period earlier this month, when Israel murdered over 260 Palestinians in Gaza with its F-16s and military assaults, and injured thousands more, and made anywhere from 60 to 100 thousand Palestinians refugees once again in Gaza, at the very same time its occupation forces were busy in the West Bank. They killed 26 Palestinians in the West Bank and injured over 500 there. And that's, of course, separate from the assaults that were taking place at the same time in occupied East Jerusalem. So we really wanted to have Iyadon to talk about the context of the Intifada in the occupied West Bank. And it's particularly relevant to him because one of the Palestinians who was killed in the West Bank during this time was Islam Burnat, a 16-year-old boy and relative of Iyad's who was killed by the occupation forces with a bullet to the head during one of the protests that was taking place in the village on May 18th against the ongoing Israeli bombardment of Gaza and the plans to displace Palestinians in occupied East Jerusalem. I had hoped to get to know Islam Burnat through Iyad. I had read some really touching tributes to him in his life. He was a gentle soul, a young boy of 16. The Middle East Eye did a really nice piece, which we'll link to on our website to commemorate his life. But since the time that we actually agreed with Iyad to speak about what was happening in the occupied West Bank, what happened in Bilain, how his relative Islam Bornat was killed by the occupation forces, the story itself evolved and was replaced with more urgent tragedy, as is often the case with the Palestinian struggle for liberation. So basically, in the last two weeks, Iyad's house was raided twice by the occupation forces really early in the morning. They showed up each time at about 4 a.m. About two weeks ago, during the first raid, Iyad's son, Abdul Khaliq, was arrested. Iyad's other son, Muhammad, who's a couple of years younger than Abdul Khaliq, was beaten very badly during this initial raid. A week or so later, the occupation forces came back at the crack of dawn to arrest Muhammad. So in the last two weeks, Iyad's two children were arbitrarily arrested by the occupation. Iyad and his wife, Tasahil, have absolutely no idea where their children are. The occupation forces have provided no information as of the taping of this episode on their location. They have been missing now for days. And of course, no reason was provided for their arrest, nor does Israel ever have to provide a reason because Israel does whatever it wants with us on our land and there's no accountability. They simply just don't have to justify this behavior to anyone. If I were to guess what's happening to them based on the experiences of other Palestinian children who are arrested by Israel, chances are they're being tortured in a cell somewhere, being forced to sign a confession in Hebrew that they don't understand to a crime that they did not commit without the presence of a lawyer or their parents who have no idea where they are. I mean, this is very common and this happens to Palestinian children all the time. Look, so when I spoke to Iyad, I asked him if he wanted to come on the show anyway, in the hopes that maybe some 
outrage and attention on the situation might lead to the release of his kids, or at least might lead to him knowing where they are. And he said, sorry, Laura, I can't come because the occupation forces turned the entire house upside down. They pulled out every drawer. They threw our belongings everywhere. They smashed every single screen in the house, including his TV and computers. And so he basically was like, I can't get on the Zoom call. Basically the story of Five Broken Cameras, the documentary, which was released in 2013, but continues to repeat itself until today. How many of your belongings must you have a budget to replace if you're Palestinian? I mean, Israeli occupation is expensive, right? My family now in Gaza is trying to figure out how to replace three apartments. And they're like, well, we're very lucky because we, just lost three properties, you know, we can always go live with some other family, right? But this is a kind of like absurd reality that Israeli occupation has you trapped in. It's, you're constantly trying to budget for the cost of colonial violence. Yeah. Do you have genocide insurance or what? No, sadly, there's like none. We should though, right? We should have yeah. it. There ought to be insurance. If there's insurance for a hurricane, there should be insurance for a nonstop tornado of rockets. Yeah, there's yet another person that I know personally. He, he wasn't just a guest that that, you know, we had invited because we heard about him. I first met Iyad and his family in 2010 when I went to Palestine and I visited the occupied city of Bilain and I stayed with his family for over two weeks. I slept on a cot in their living room and I played with his kids, including his two kids who are right now, you know, their whereabouts are unknown because they've been kidnapped by the occupation forces. So it just sort of seems like if you're Palestinian, the news is always bad news. You wake up, you hear about some some shit happening in Gaza, then you know, you know, a week later you hear about some shit happening in Bilain, and it's just the it's difficult to ever have a break. It's difficult to ever feel like and, and this is coming from somebody who's not even there. I just know people who are there, and I just know people who are personally affected. Here at the Palestine Pod, we're calling on the immediate release of Mohammed and Abdul Khaliq Burnat and every other child that's being unjustly held by Israel, and every single political prisoner, more broadly, man, woman, or child. Their detention by Israel is completely illegitimate. There's no reason for it. Israel has provided no legitimate reason for it. And every second that they remain detained is a grave violation of their human rights. And I really hope that we'll come with better news next time. Their mother, who's worried sick about them, who's a dear friend of mine, Tessa Hill, who, when I was in Palestine in 2010, let me try on all of her clothes, and dressed me up like, you know, a Palestinian doll. She let me try on every single piece of, you know, embroidery, embroidered dress that she owned. And I've been really good friends with this family ever since then. So this is obviously very devastating. And I just pray that they're released as soon as possible. Praying for their family and every other family of political prisoners unjustly locked up whether it be in the occupation or across Turtle Island. Not only did the occupation deliberately blow up over 20 offices for Palestinian media outlets and the tower that hosted the international outlets AP and Al Jazeera, the occupation has a history extending back longer than its own existence of threatening, targeting, journalists, and even murdering those who speak out against the Zionist agenda. They try to control the public narrative, and as that narrative slips, they become ever more desperate for control. On top of that, the occupation is currently holding at least 13 Palestinian journalists. Yeah, so Ion Palestine reported about five hours ago, Israeli military court refused the appeal to release the Palestinian journalists Zaina Halwani and Wahbi Makia, and a new trial will be held on Monday, May 31st. Yeah, so that actually brings us to what's happening in Silwan a little bit, a small town south of Jerusalem's old city. 
people have been asking, oh, what's happening and so on. And it's the same thing that's been happening in Sheikh Jarrah and the West Bank and in literally every single part of Palestine. Specifically, seven Palestinian families from the neighborhood were ordered to leave their homes in 2020. Two of them, the Najah and the Qayyad al-Rajabi families, submitted their appeal to the Jerusalem court early on Wednesday. The court heard the appeal and decided to postpone its final verdict. Amnesty International has called on the occupation to cancel plans to forcibly displace two Palestinian families from their homes and so on. This is an indication that they want to wait until things blow over, right, before they make a ruling to seize the land. The fact that they are postponing shows that our efforts are making them slightly more reserved about being these greedy land gobbling monsters. So keep up the good work, y'all. The fight is far from over, though. Keep making noise, stay engaged, keep sharing content from Silwan, from Sheikh Jarrah, because people are still being brutalized, forcibly displaced from their homes. Children are being shot inside their houses. The ceasefire doesn't change much for many of the people in Palestine. Yeah, totally. And I think you're absolutely right, Michael, when you say that anytime Israel notices that the world is slightly more aware of its brutality, then it will just say, oh, actually, we won't take a decision right now. Let's let's just wait till next month. And that's exactly what they did even in Sheikh Jarrah. They postponed the decision. They postponed the decision because of the international outcry. According to human rights group Bet Salem, as of September 2020, the occupation is holding at least 376 Palestinians, including two minors in administrative detention. Administrative detention is to indefinitely detain Palestinians without charge or trial. Administrative detention orders are handed down by the IDF commanders in charge of the occupied West Bank. They are reviewed every six months, but the detainees are not told what so-called crimes they have been accused of, nor shown any evidence against them. Lawyers who are familiar with defending Palestinians imprisoned without cause say administrative detentions are almost always based on, quote, confidential material given to the courts by the Shin Bet. Detainees and their lawyers have no access to supposed evidence levied against them, meaning you can't even defend yourself against an administrative detention order. Shouts out to that democracy. Only that democracy just, in the Middle East, right? That was just a lot of democracy to say. <laughs> they are the only ones, Michael. They're the doing the only. best they can as the only ones. Hey, and their new prime minister that they just elected is even more genocidal in his rhetoric. Yeah, we're going to have fun dealing with him next week. That guy's a mess. You see, he tweeted a picture of Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza, and it turned out to be a hospital in Pakistan. Yes, He'll that's what he did. probably blow that one up, too. Yeah, that's what everyone is saying. Like they were, He was like, oh, the Palestinians, they're hiding Hamas in this hospital. There's no Hamas in that hospital. I have friends who work there, first of all. Second of all, oh, they're hiding Hamas in this hospital. And it was literally a photo of a whole different hospital in Pakistan. He'd be looking at daycare centers like they'd be hiding Hamas in there. We have an update on some BDS stuff. In Ireland, they have become the first EU member state to declare the building of Israeli settlements in Palestinian territories as de facto annexation. The governmental body, the Dial, I believe is how it's pronounced, on Wednesday passed a motion tabled by Sinn Féin. Yeah. The Dial rejected a proposal to expel the Israeli ambassador 
to the Republic and impose comprehensive sanctions against the occupation by 87 votes to 46 with no abstentions. So good work to the people of Ireland, but you could have gone harder. Let's go. Let's get them (laughs) out of here. Every single one of them. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I have some good BDS news too. Earlier this week, we found out that 600 musicians signed a letter pledging to boycott Israel, including Rage Against the Machine, Cypress Hill, System of a Down, Chromio, and hundreds more. The artists have come together under the name Musicians for Palestine, and they are urging other artists to join the boycott and stand in solidarity with Palestine. They came out and said, as musicians, we cannot be silent. Today, it is essential that we stand with Palestine. We are calling on our peers to publicly assert their solidarity with the Palestinian people. Complicity with Israeli war crimes is found in silence. And today, silence is not an option, the letter states. They also added, today we speak together and demand justice, dignity, and the right to self-determination for the Palestinian people and all who are fighting colonial dispossession and violence across the planet. Additional musicians who signed the letter include The Roots, Black Thought, and Quest Love, Godspeed You, Black Emperor, Thurston Moore, Bun B, Royce to Five Nine, and many, many more. Separately, a group of more than a thousand Canadian artists organized an open statement calling for Canada to impose military and economic sanctions on Israel to, quote, end its complicity in the oppression of Palestinians. And in another positive development, the Middle East Eye reported that over 600 Amazon employees urged Jeff Bezos to cut ties with the Israeli military and acknowledge the pain and suffering of the Palestinians, further to the announcement that their employer was entering into a billion-dollar contract with Israel in which they would be providing cloud services for the Israeli government as well as for the Israeli armed forces for the next seven years at the very least. So that's another reason to never buy shit from Amazon if you don't have to. Being in bottles didn't do it for you. Yeah, right. Remember when, also, we, remember when we heard about that? Employees at Google and Apple put out additional statements earlier last week, which basically mirror the statements that were put out by the Amazon employees. So a lot of really good BDS news. And I, I remember the time when you know, it was like Roger Waters came out and was just telling everyone to boycott. Now you have 600 musicians that have come out fearlessly saying, we're boycotting Israel, we're not going there, and we're urging all musicians of conscience to do the same thing. And I think one of the things that we're going to see in the aftermath of this latest onslaught of colonial violence and this latest Palestinian uprising is that BDS and the BDS successes are going to accelerate on an exponential level. And more and more people are going to be supporting the call for BDS and making more impressive statements in support of BDS. Yeah, the occupation heard that 600 mostly black musicians were not coming to Israel and they were like, great, we don't have to deport them then. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they literally do. Uh, Kuwait, shouts to Kuwait, they officially made it so that they will jail or fine anyone who deals with the occupation. There is some British woman who posted a self-made YouTube video where she tried to get on a Kuwaiti Airlines flight knowing she'd be denied and then just put on the most crocodile tears performance. She's like, you're boycotting the only Jewish state. This is racial discrimination. And it's like, welcome to a checkpoint, sweetie. You know what I mean? Exactly. Also, what what was her situation? Do you know if was she just a British person that had been in Israel and then No, she was trying to fly on Kuwaiti Airlines from London to somewhere. She was trying to fly on Kuwaiti Airlines knowing the news she had an Israeli passport and a lav microphone, somebody filming from <laughs> far away. And then she did like a follow-up <laughs> interview where she's just like I'm just feeling like really racially discriminated against. 
And it's like, honey, nobody is discriminating against you because you're Jewish. It's because you support apartheid. There's a big gif, you know. Anyways, for all the people who still cannot make the distinction between Judaism and Zionism, a group of Orthodox rabbis in London wrote an open letter saying, quote, we were shocked to hear that the world media gave the impression that the traditionally Orthodox Jews in England have some connection with the provocations against the non-Jewish countries by the Zionists in the Holy Land and in the rest of the world. We hereby publicize the Torah view, which was the view of rabbis of past generations, as well as the view of the current chief rabbi of London's UOHC that we must not take part in any way in the actions that anger the nations of the world. We were commanded to, quote, seek the peace of the city of our exile, Jeremiah 29, 7. Unless we condemn these actions in the strongest language, they could bring danger upon all Jews in this country. We hereby declare that we have no connection whatsoever to these grave actions or to any public declarations made by the Zionists. We, whether here or in the Holy Land, for many years, we have lived peacefully and safely alongside our neighbors. Whoever takes part in the above-mentioned actions does not represent us. And that open letter is signed by a bunch of motherfucking rabbis, fam. I will link it. It's the the most beautiful document written by Jews in recent history. Look, there's only, look, Jews are constantly saying, we're like Zionism is not Judaism, right? But the Zionists are constantly saying, wait, 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 no, believe us. Zionism is Judaism. So who are you going to believe? The people who are experts on the religion or these guys who just showed up 12 minutes ago and are like, no, 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 we're the Jews. Not only are Zionists saying Zionism is Judaism, they are also saying if you say Zionism is Judaism, that's anti-Semitic. Oh, really? They, they say that yes, too. They don't want you to conflate the actions of the state of Israel with all Jews. Oh, right. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Because right? that's what they that's what they put out now in all their liberal Zionist yes. propaganda. It's like this yes. is how you criticize Israel without being anti-Semitic. Exactly. Just understand that Israel doesn't represent all Jews. Meanwhile, exactly. Israel's like, we represent all Jews. A hundred percent. They live inside of a paradox. It's, 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 I mean, it's like, you know, until I figure it out, my brain is doing this. Mental backflips. It's tough. It's so tough. And I haven't stretched today. So, you know. I didn't warm up. (laughs) Same. (laughs) You need to, you need to, you need to do some lunges. You know what I mean? Like. I mean, at least a couple. A couple lunges. Look, I don't think that they're doing very well, the Zionists right now. They're having a tough time. They're having a tough time. Between the blue... Instagram square, you know? Yeah, that was rough to see. To see people who I actually know and, you know, at one point did respect based on their comedy, based on interactions that I had, that they could be so easily manipulated into thinking that Jews are somehow under attack right now 
when if we look, if we actually look at the raw data of the rise in anti-Semitism, what we find is that we have a lot of complaints that conflate Judaism with Zionism, right? So they should not be considered. There was a great study done by the IJV, Independent Jewish Voices here in Canada, that breaks down a lot of so-called anti-Semitic claims and finds that they are dubious at best. I also, I linked last week to that video of a former Israeli minister admitting that they say anti-Semitism covers all of our war crimes, basically. Yeah. If it's if it's in Europe, then it's the Holocaust. If it's in America, you're anti-Semitic. It's a trick. We use it all the time. Right. So I'm so saddened to see that people that I know and have worked with were duped by Zionist propaganda to post a blue square. It's like that that is the utmost of performative activism. Right. If you just if you've never even broached the issue before and all of a sudden you post a blue square, fam. Yeah, I mean, look, this what they said, what the Zionists said was, if a year ago today you had a black square in your profile and you don't have a blue square up now, then just know that you know, you're know you an anti-Semite. And it's like, well, hold on a second. First of all, Black Lives Matter has taken a position on this issue. Why don't we listen to them? Why don't we actually listen to what they have to say about which side they're on? And they're unequivocal. They have made it very clear that they they are against settler colonialism. They have come out on more than one occasion with statements and solidarity of the Palestinian struggle for liberation. So don't try to speak on behalf of black people or don't try to speak on behalf of Black Lives Matter and say, oh, if you had a black square, well, first of all, if all you did last year was have a black square, then you probably weren't an ally for black people to begin with. You know, let's be honest. Yeah, Black Lives Matter had a bunch of demands. Posting a black square was not one of them. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I think at one point they were like, please stop posting this black square. Yeah, I was told by many organizers that it was a tactic to clog the right hashtag and exactly. actually drown out black voices. Exactly. Probably exactly. by intelligence. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing. It was likely introduced by intelligence to stir up a frenzy in the Jewish community, right? To make Jews at large feel attacked so that they would then side with the only Jewish state. It's like, if anybody's been paying attention, this is their playbook. They manipulate Jewish trauma in order to garner sympathy while they commit genocide in the name of a genocide. Our genocide doesn't justify additional genocides. People did not survive Auschwitz so that you could carpet bomb Gaza. Exactly. That's exactly what Dr. Gabor Mate said in his interview with Russell Brand, which by the way, I do recommend people watch, but I do also recommend they skip the Russell Brand intro. Skip that part, get get to the good stuff with Dr. Gabor Mate, and then hear what he has to say, a fierce anti-Zionist Jewish comrade, a supporter of Palestinian liberation, and a Holocaust survivor, which you know what, are not antithetical terms, right? They, they, they go with one another, actually. It's not, it's not abnormal. It's not unusual that you would be a Holocaust survivor and you would support Palestinian liberation because Palestinian liberation is about freeing all oppressed peoples and is an anti-racist, anti-colonial movement that Holocaust survivors absolutely would support. These things are not opposing issues. They went um, through similar trauma because as we exposed in one of our previous episodes, the military of the IDF actually studied the Warsaw Ghetto to replicate the tactics. Other than the Dr. Gabor Mate interview, I also posted an interview with a 
anti-Zionist Jewish grandmother. They asked her, are you a Zionist? And she said, absolutely not. It's such an injustice. I could never be a Zionist. It's so cruel. I mean, look, this is what Jewish people are saying. This is what people who actually believe in their faith are saying. So let's listen to them. Tell us why they believe in anti-Zionism, why they don't buy into Israel's apartheid state and settler colonial regime, why, why they don't buy into it, why that doesn't make them feel safe as Jews, why that doesn't g- coincide with Jewish theology, right? Let's, l- let's listen to them. Let's give them a space instead of speaking for them. Yeah, you don't need a PhD to know that murdering kids isn't Judaism. Apparently you do. Also, more Zionist meltdowns. They published photos of all of the dead children in the New York Times. And Abraham Foxman tweeted, I am canceling my subscription to the New York Times. I grew up in America on the New York Times. I delivered the New York Times to my classmates. I learned civics, democracy, and all the news fit to print for 65 years, but no more. Today's blood libel of Israel and the Jewish people on the front page is enough. And I looked up the definition of blood libel. Yeah, what does that mean? Just because it's been thrown around a lot by Zionists. Yeah. Blood libel is when people accuse Jews of murdering Christian children or other Gentiles in order to use their blood in the performance of religious rituals. What blood libel is not is publishing the children murdered by the occupation's genocide on the front page of the New York Times, and even including the few Israeli children who died in that picture. And now that I'm pretty solid on the definition of blood libel, I don't think I've actually ever heard anyone do it for real. But I have heard Zionists freak out about it a lot. Look, I mean, I think a lot of people already canceled their subscription to the New York Times because of the the Hamas full page ad, ad against <laughs> Bella Hadid. Yes, the Hadid Look, family. I love this glorious ending to seventy three years of settler colonialism and apartheid and racial supremacy. Right? They are so insane. terrified. They are so terrified by them. They are just absolutely terrified. You know how much they spent on that ad? They must have spent millions. millions. I was just about to say, what an insane use of resources. And wouldn't have hired a better graphic designer. It, first Trash. Of all, it was like it was like all of their okay, they had these very solemn photos of Bella and Gigi and Dua like, and like trying to make them look bad. Was, if I may, yeah. they still look good. Right? <laughs> right they, they still look great. good. They look beautiful. And then they had the Hamas rockets like behind them that were like coming out and then like over their heads. And then I'm gonna keep like, it real. Those rockets <laughs> look good too. I mean, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And I know that a lot of people actually canceled their subscription as a result of that. But look, that New York Times article, it's a little snaky, right? Because a lot of people were sharing it saying, oh, thank you, New York Times. You know, you came out and you finally acknowledged the human cost of Israel's colonial violence against Palestinians. You finally showed what Israel does when it carries out its military assaults. It targets civilians, pummels densely populated civilian areas, and it kills entire families. There was something like, Over a dozen Palestinian families were wiped out from the civil registry altogether. I mean, we're talking about erasure of entire families. 
this is what we're dealing with with Israel. And the fact that now Israel sees that its days are coming to an end because high-profile people like Bella and Gigi and Dua are speaking out and saying, no, Palestinians have a right to live. Palestinians have a right to go about their lives unencumbered by shelling that is going to take them out and their entire family. And that that in of itself is a threat to what Israel wants to do, which is the opposite, continue to kill Palestinians. That's the Israeli policy, right? To impose as much damage and destruction on a civilian population as possible. This is what they've been doing. They spent so much money on that ad because they blow through money like nothing, right? Not only do they have the $3.8 billion per year, baby, coming from the United States, which is a $38 billion total over 10 years, but they also have a huge diamond mining industry that is based on the slave trade. Few people are aware that diamonds are Israel's number one manufacturing export, a cornerstone of its economy. And you're probably thinking to yourself, how's that possible? Ain't no diamonds in Palestine like that. The Jerusalem Post indicates that, quote, Israel turns over about 28 billion in diamonds a year. The value of exported diamonds is so significant, about a fifth of total industrial exports, that the government reports its figures without diamonds to ensure the gems do not skew the values. Whoa, that sounds illegal. It probably is. <laughs> De Beers. Site holders, companies of ABT Diamonds LTD and the Stein Metz Group company, Diacor, directly fund the Israeli military. Wow. On a website which has since been removed from public view, but can be found in an archive that I'll link to, it says ABT and its owners have made, quote, significant contributions to the Israeli military. The Stein Metz Foundation adopted a unit of the notorious Jivadi Brigade, the IDF army unit that was responsible for the Samuni family massacre in Gaza, a war crime documented by human rights organizations. Diacor manufacturers Forevermark diamonds, which frequently adorn the stars of the most prestigious high society red carpet events worldwide. When it comes to blood diamonds, a report by Real Care is Rare describes, quote, brutal human rights abuses, including killings, torture, and sexual violence. The report refers to blood diamonds as, quote, diamonds obtained using serious violence, irrespective of who the perpetrator is. Let's find out who the perpetrator is. Some of the major players include... De Beers is the world's largest diamond company. Allegedly, I didn't fact check. The De Beers Group controls companies in the diamond mining, diamond processing, and diamond trading business. So what they're saying is we're vertically integrated. Forevermark is a diamond company and subsidiary of De Beers Group. Known as the king of diamonds, Lev Leviv, worth $1.5 billion, owns an integrated diamond outfit with mines in places like South Africa and a jewelry boutique in New York. He made his name undercutting the De Beers Diamond Cartel, which is taken directly from Forbes, by the way, talking about the verbiage in the article. They called De Beers a diamond cartel in Forbes. 
striking his own deals with diamond producing countries like Angola and Russia. Leviv is also the controlling shareholder of Africa Israel Investments, a real estate and construction company listed on the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. Leviv was born in Uzbekistan. His family settled in 1971. Then there's Benny Steinmetz. We heard his name before about the assault on Gaza. He's worth $1 billion, according to Forbes. Diamond tycoon Benny Steinmetz is the owner of BSGR, an embattled mining company with a presence in Guinea and Sierra Leone. This nut, this BSGR people, came after Guinea for billions of dollars for allegedly expropriating their investment, and Great. they lost. BSGR is under investigation in several countries, including the United States, for violating the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. The company denies these claims. Fam, if you are under investigation in the United States of America for corruption, you have done it big. Congratulations. In 2010, BSGR sold 51% of its mining rights in Guinea to Brazil's multinational Vale for $2.5 After determining that BSGR had obtained rights to Ghanaian iron mines illegally in 2014, the Ghanaian government denied BSGR access to their mines there because they pulled up illegally yes. and tried to refine natural minerals. Yeah, that was the lawsuit. That's what it was about. So what they do is they are directly funding blood diamond industry. Y'all want to talk about blood libel, but y'all funded by blood diamonds. <laughs> Baby boy, you're confused. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's this new thing called lab diamonds. Eco-friendly, better for the planet, made in a lab, right? No, no blood on them, you know? No, you know? So that's, that's what I got on my finger here. <laughs> you just plugged your shit, I thought. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to go for those blood diamonds no more. The entire economy of the occupation is based on expropriation of resources. It is the definition of a settler colonial terrorist state that extends far beyond the confines of occupied Palestine. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is not surprising. I'm not surprised by any of this. I actually was. Really? This is super typical for settler colonies. Well, I was just surprised at how much of it is a cornerstone, like how much of it is a backbone of the economy that yeah. exists, right? Yeah. So much so that they don't even report it. But that's crazy. Yeah. Weirdos. Yeah. So anyways, we'll probably be assassinated at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I hey. just want it to be on record that <laughs> we never had any history of mental illness. No. We are both very happy with our lives yes. and our partners and that, you know, you and know, that we're not, we're not clumsy. We're not going to accidentally yeah. fall off a balcony. Right? I don't even own a balcony. So if I, don't, I fall I'm not going to drive one, a car. So if they're like, oh, she got into a car accident, you know, I wasn't even driving. You know what I mean? So. Fam, if we die in any way, y'all know what the deal is. So just <laughs> make some noise and burn some shit down, please. Yeah, we're going to need you guys to take over <laughs> when that happens. Oh, so good. So good. I, I'm going to have to tell my mom not to listen to this episode because she <laughs> doesn't like it when I make assassination jokes.
<laughs> I'm making them a lot just so people have a record. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, as you should, right? As you should. I want to speak to what's happening in Turtle Island. Oh, yeah. Also known as Canada yeah, 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 yeah. at Kamloops Indian Residential School in Turtle Island. The remains of 215 native children genocided by colonists were found. From Wet'suwet'en underscore checkpoint on Instagram, 215 future ancestors stolen from us, countless families and communities ripped apart, innumerable more that have yet to be found. The impacts are not in the past. This isn't only intergenerational trauma, this is ongoing and reoccurring trauma. Residential schools, foster care systems, taking children from their home communities and leaving them feeling alone, disconnected, and therefore entrenched in grief. Hearing the stories of residential schools and realizing that's why some of our older family members struggled so much. Recognizing that they had to live with the memories. Children as young as three were found in this mass grave. The colonial government knew what was occurring at these schools. They allowed it to continue for the sake of, quote, killing the Indian in the child. That is an actual quote. If you don't know about residential schools, you need to read up on them. These are reoccurring traumas that indigenous people shouldn't need to relive for, quote, teachable moments. I was reading up on this right before we got on the podcast, and I read that from 1863 to 1996, over 150,000 children were forcibly removed from their own families and placed in these quote-unquote boarding schools. But then you look at the actual statistics of what actually takes place at these schools, and it says that 90 to 100 percent of the children suffered severe physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, which is insane. I mean, how can you even call them schools to begin with? I mean, first of all, the fact that they were taken against their will without the consent of their parents in and of itself is an act of violence to begin with. So we shouldn't even be calling them schools to begin with. It's more like a prison for children because these parents didn't actually ever agree. And there's also another statistic that says that there was a 40 to 60% mortality rate in these residential schools. What the hell does 60% mortality rate? 60% yeah. of the kids are, are dying. They're either being killed or they're committing suicide. What is going on? These are certainly not schools in, in, in any acceptable definition of school. Residential concentration camps. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, it is such a violent, violent reality. And I think there's this, oftentimes, at least in the US, right, about Canada, that Canada's like the, you know, the it's a gentler settler colony. They do things a little bit more like settler colony light. You know, they're not as bad yeah. as the US. And I just think that you read stories like this and that obviously couldn't be further from the truth. And I mean, Trudeau himself came out and tweeted, oh, this is, you know, this breaks my heart. It's a painful reminder of the dark and shameful chapter of our country's history. Well, it's pretty fucking dark. It's pretty, pretty, pretty dark. And I think, you know, we need a little bit more of an explanation about how this could even happen. Not to mention the fact that the last one of these institutions, these concentration camps, actually closed in 1996. So this is not that historical to begin with. This yeah. is something in, in the recent past. And there are people who are alive now that are not much older than us that were actually in these things. I actually heard from a native elder at a protest about how they were taken to one of these schools that people in their neighborhood were snatched up by people with clipboards who just asked them, you know, what's your name? Are you 
native? Are you, you know, they asked for identification and stuff and just grab children. Some of them pretending to be ice cream men, grabbing children and taking them to these places. So it's very, that, it's disgusting. That's literally what your parents warn you about when you're a kid at Stranger Danger. Like don't get into a car with it with, with a creep that's trying to give you ice cream. That's literally what our parents warned us about. Yeah. People, people have misconceptions about Canada. Like in the United States, when people try and sound Canadian, they'll just like add an A at the end of their sentence. They'll be like, oh, it's a nice day out here, eh? You know, but in, when Canada, when people try and sound American, they say something racist. Right. Canadians will be like, oh, did I mildly inconvenience you? So, so, so sorry. Did I genocide your people and steal all of your land? Well, you should get over it. Yeah, no, we're going to have to uh, dig a little deeper into Canadian history to understand a little bit more of these really shameful phenomenon because it looks like we're barely scratching the surface with this report. Shout out to the Native people all over the world in occupations that are resisting as best they can. Thank y'all so much for listening to another episode of the Palestine Pod. We so appreciate y'all listening, supporting, engaging with our content. Please leave us a review on any of the podcast apps or on YouTube, whatever. We are very active on social media. Follow us at the Palestine Pod on Instagram. And if you want to email us, go ahead and email us at palestinepod at gmail.com. We will upload sources in a couple of days for this episode on thepalestinepod.com. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much. Have a great day. There you go. It's got that new recording in progress sound. Yeah, Very to make official. it feel more authoritarian. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey. They should be like, we're also listening in progress. <laughs> we are sharing your information in real time. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. I hope we don't get disconnected this time. Yeah, I too hope we don't get censored aggressively this time. Sometimes <laughs> yeah, no. you'd be like, you know, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. If you know, you know. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah, but you're not doing that. That's not what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not doing it like that. <laughs>